Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes, 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 yes. For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! What's going on, guys? Welcome back to WrestleRant Radio for Thursday, August 18th, 2022. I am Graham Giusa Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well and having a great week so far. For the first time in a long time, I will be flying solo here on today's show. RJ Marceau, Mr. Marceau, of course, cannot join me this week. We were originally planning on recording on Friday. Scheduling conflicts kind of prevented that from being the case this week, so I'm hoping to have him back here on the show to join me next week talking all the latest in the world of wrestling, but uh, we are going at it here today on our usual Thursday slot, and I also partially just couldn't wait to talk about all the news coming out of today alone with the NXT UK expansion news and all the latest in the fallout from Dynamite on Wednesday, which we did not get to here on the show last week uh, due to talking all about Raw and NXT, and we recorded on Wednesday last week, so we did not record before Dynamite this week. So I will be talking about Dynamite here on today's show and all the news coming out of very out of a very newsworthy Dynamite on Wednesday night in addition to Raw and what I thought was a very good NXT Heatwave show on Tuesday night in addition to the news as I mentioned with the uh, CM Punk stuff coming out of Dynamite on Wednesday and the NXT UK expansion news now being called NXT Europe starting in 2023. So a lot, a lot, a lot to get to here on today's show. But I will not be completely solo. As in a brief moment, I'll be airing my exclusive interview with two-time WWE Hall of Famer Shawn Michaels, talking all about the A&E D-Generation X documentary that aired on Sunday, last Sunday that is. Uh, we talk all about that, NXT, and so much more. I actually interviewed Shawn twice in the last couple of weeks. The first time for the NFTs they released on him, I think they released it this past week. Our article came out about a week, actually a week ago today on Thursday on Bleacher Report, this interview that I'm about to air here on the show dropped on Sunday on Fansided's DailyDDT.com, an article form and an audio form over on my YouTube channel, which is what you're about to hear, uh, YouTube.com backslash WrestleRant, talking all about the A&E documentary NXT, as I mentioned, so on and so forth. So, Shawn Michaels joining WrestleRant Radio for the very first time here today. Cannot wait to air that. But before we get going here, do got to mention this. You can check out new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday on WrestleRant.com, WrestleRant Radio. Radio.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, we're on Google Podcast, we're on Pandora, we're on Podbean, Amazon Music, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show, never miss an episode every single Thursday. With all that being said, guys, enjoy my exclusive interview with two-time WWE Hall of Famer, the heartbreak kid himself, Shawn Michaels. All right, what's going on, guys? Graham Giuson Matthews here with Fansided Daily, DDT.com. And coming up this Sunday, August 14th, the latest episode of A&E's WWE Biography Legends. We got D uh, on D-Generation X, obviously Triple H, Shawn Michaels. We're talking one half of them here today. The heartbreak kid himself, WWE Hall of Famer, Shawn Michaels. Shawn, how's it going, man? It's going very well, thank you. Absolutely. Like I just said before we got going here, I just spoke to you last week about the NFT thing. You got this documentary coming up on Sunday on DX. They're keeping you busy. It's funny. 
Yeah, again, as I said, this is retirement. Clearly, I can't do this right. <laughs> and, and so, look, I, I, I can think of, of worse things, you know, again, to be uh, where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm very thankful to the WWE. And, of course, look, it doesn't, you know, doesn't happen without people wanting to wanted to see it, right? And I guess the uh, the one good thing about the car wreck of a life I lived is that it, <laughs> you know, that it, uh, it resonates, you know, 35 years later. Exactly. No, it's awesome, man. It's all good stuff, which is the good thing, as you mentioned. We got this coming up on Sunday, the NFT stuff, as I mentioned. Obviously, NXT are involved in it every single week. But with this documentary coming up on Sunday, we've had this great series of biography documentaries over on A&E, The Undertaker this season, Goldberg. We had, uh, you know, several people in the last couple of weeks, Lex Luger, among others. And uh, yours is coming up on Sunday alongside Triple H, like I said, on the entirety of DX. We've had a lot of DX documentaries over the years. What do you think, if you've seen any of that or just for filming for it, what you think stands this one out, just kind of makes it stand out from some of the other DX docs we've gotten over the years? Yeah, I think this one, um, in a word, raw. You know I mean? Mm -hmm. I think this one really is... uh, visceral in kind of the the delivery of, of a lot of what went on in the real lives of a lot of the guys. Look, this was, um, you know, a group of guys uh, and, and gal that had, again, had an absolute blast, genuine, sincere blast in the ring with one another. Um, but outside of the ring, again, just, I don't know, again, it was rough and tough in a lot of different ways. I mean, there are times that sometimes Hunter can get singled out as, well, he was the one with the sensible one. Again, there was, at the beginning, very rough for him. And again, to say that, again, where his life is at now uh, is any cakewalk is, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know again, uh, it, it, just is, it just isn't the case. There's a lot of pressure and a lot of anxiety. And, you know what I mean, and a lot of, hurt feelings and resentment and, and stuff like that, 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 that he has to deal with as well. And so, um, I think that's the thing that, that, uh, it makes this different is that it's certainly not a, 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 a fluff and puff piece. Yeah, yeah, that's the best part about it. All these documentaries we've gotten so far are raw, as you mentioned, and we're going to be getting that on Sunday with this as well. And obviously, you've looked back at the history of DX and other pieces and documentaries over the years, and you did the same thing for this one. Looking back on it now, almost 25 years later, do you look back at it like, oh, I mean, obviously, those were fun times. Are there any segments and stuff that you guys did that you look back on and like, ah, maybe I wish I did that differently or like, I'm not so proud of that now. Like, how do you look back on that stuff 25 years later at this point in your life? Well, I'll, I'll say this again, uh, as I mentioned a lot of times, sure, I think there are a couple things that you say that you would love to have, you know, I don't know, not said, and, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know, hurt people, you know, hurt people, to be perfectly yeah. honest. But but again, but I always say, but to change any of that would keep me from being where I'm at today, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't change where I'm at today for anything in the world. And again, that goes for, again, you know, again, my relationship with so many of these people now, again, mm-hmm. is, is, is actually better. And again, it, it goes from even some of the people that I offended. I'm just using Brett Hart as an example. I wouldn't change where he and I are at now for anything in the world. Um, and I don't know if we'd have gotten there had we not had our struggles with one another. So, um, and look, and, I, and certainly from us as a group, Degeneration generation X, you know, we, we, I don't know. We, uh, this was, as you'll see in the documentary, a bunch of guys, look, there are a lot of people that say like, had struggles, had demons. You know, you're talking about a group of guys that'll, uh, 
you know, that again will be, you know, a little more, a little more uh, specific. So it's different on that level. But again, when it comes to, I don't know, the camaraderie, the, I don't know, the, the sense of uh, enjoyment and, and also, I don't know, just adulation that we had with one another and, you know, excitement and joy that we had in the ring with one another. You, you, you gotta wonder if, would we have pulled it all off without some of this other side? We were so crazy, so reckless, and you, you have to kind of, you're not surprised by the, the away from the ring antics, mm-hmm. and, and it's, hard, it's hard to wonder if you'd gotten one without the other. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, everything you guys did served a purpose. Everything happened for a reason, and it led to where you guys are today as one of the greatest groups in WWE history, if not the greatest group in wrestling history. And uh, obviously, it landed you guys in the Hall of Fame a few years ago as well. Do you think, Sean, that this is something that could work today? I mean, maybe not in the exact form that DX was 25 years ago, but it's a very different time in wrestling, a very exciting time in wrestling, which is great. But with a group like this and just some of the stuff you guys did and, and, and said and whatever, like you just talked about a minute ago, do you think something like DX would work in 2022 to a certain degree, or is it just a, a case of it being the time and the place for it back in 1997, 1998? Well, look, I, I certainly think a, a, the time and place uh, is, is spot on for, for back then. Look, there's so much. Look, we couldn't do a lot of what we did back then. It is not, you know. Again, it was it was raw. It was rough. Um, some of it, again, I can see it now. Is that you know? And look, I sometimes wonder, like, oh, geez, Sean, you're getting old and soft. Well, look, some of it is again just not wanting to be that cruel, mm-hmm. you know. Honestly. Um, so I just I don't know. Certainly, you could have a group. I think it could be as big. But I think the rebellion would have to take a different form, and I don't know what that is. I do think that that's one of the things I enjoy about being where I'm at in the business right now and being here at NXT, which is trying to find what is that next level of pushing that envelope but Mm -hmm. doing it in a way that's, you know, I don't know, I guess socially kind of acceptable. You know what I mean? Because it is. I I do want to – look, we did – uh, encourage a lot of bad stuff, right? If I, I, the one thing I do sort of always say is that ours was a bit more sophomoric. Mm-hmm. Ours was not something that was life-changing or life-ruining. It was just kids getting detention, you know what I mean, by <laughs> yeah. cross-chopping their teachers and stuff like that. I think that's harmless, but again, that bar for harmless has been hired quite a bit these days. So, the, you know, the million-dollar question is, what is what is that what is that range at which you can push that envelope? But again, that's what that that's what I love about the creative line of this work, which is trying to figure out what that next level is. Yeah, no, you talk about it right there, like what that line is that people can cross, and even nowadays, and uh, it's constantly changing, so it's hard to determine. But it, it's funny again, looking back twenty five years ago, kind of like the genesis of D Generation X, and you mentioned where you and Hunter are now effectively running the company, so to speak, with you and NXT, him on the main roster, running creative things. I mean, could you ever ever imagine a situation 25 years ago when you guys start doing DX that you would be where you are today in your respective positions? And it's kind of fitting and ironic in a way considering the anti-authority nature of the group back in 97. <laughs> no way. <laughs> of course, they don't, there's no way, nor would anyone else. And if they did, they go like, oh my goodness, that's the business is dead. Um, <laughs> So, but look, I, I, I will say this. We, that's, we were 
pushing for that change uh, in 1995. We recognized, I don't know, people took it as disrespect and and not believing and loving the business, and that wasn't it, it at all. It was actually what I think people recognize now is being so in love with it. We want it to, to grow and prosper, but we feel like, you know, that there's different ways to go about it. Again, there's no, there's no one part of our fan base that is 100% right all the time. It's, you know, we have so many, we have so much diversity in our, in our fans that again, I think you need to find a balance. And I think that's something that certainly what Hunter and I, hope to find and to bring and that we always felt like we brought to NXT which is a, a good balance of entertainment, fun you know, serious good wrestling, you know, serious storylines, personal issues but again, also some lighthearted stuff and entertainment and so again, um, that's that's what we're talking about so I don't think anybody's 100% right or 100% wrong mm-hmm. you know, the key to everything in life and in this business is trying to strike that perfect balance um and again i think that's what's you know that's what you know i try to do here i know he's going to try to do on the main roster yeah i guess the answer my next question right there as far as the vision i mean as far as you go with nxt and him with the main roster and whatnot you talked a little bit about last week when we spoke about the nft thing as far as the vision going forward for nxt and it was such an abrupt change obviously when hunter got sick late last year had to take time off you kind of fulfilling that role you mentioned it right there, but is that sort of like the vision that you're looking for currently with NXT 2.0 that hopefully with Triple H in charge now of Raw and SmackDown that we're going to get that more seamless transition, uh, kind of that, I don't know what the uh, word would be, that synergy, I guess is the right word that I'm looking for between the main roster and NXT and that vision that you guys are trying sure. to accomplish for the product. Sure, yeah, exactly. Look, there's, there are some things um, that look from a, uh, publicly traded business to IPs to you know yep. things of that nature, things that are you know out of the creative control, um, and that we sort of have to do as a company. We are going to uh, we still have to dot those eyes and cross those T's. But to your point, again, we feel like again someone who is someone in NXT can now move up to the main roster, be recognized as the same person talked about coming from NXT. And, and again, and perhaps blending in immediately into a storyline with someone who they who was previously in NXT. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, so yes, I absolutely think that communication is clearly going to be there. Those transitions should be more seamless uh, and more comfortable. And and again, also the the readiness of of talent going up. You know, there won't you know. Or, or, and look, sometimes you can't help emergencies or last minute things uh you know an injury happens we need someone like this well they're not quite ready i gotta have them now mm-hmm. like okay but here are the limitations you know i mean don't take them outside of this comfort zone um there's just going to be more openness more communication and more understanding of that communication so i do i'm encouraged and i think I, I think the, the the talent as well on both sides are encouraged by that because I think they know that the both of us, you know, we're now talking about darn near everybody out there are people that were with him in NXT at one time or another. And everybody, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Half of them were with me, half of them were with me, and the next half are certainly all gonna be with me. 
So, again, there's going to be, a, I think there's going to be a, a lot better and more comfort zone that might, that might not have been there in the past. And it's going to feel a bit more comfortable, a bit more natural uh, in that transition state. Yeah, which is great to see, and I think it's pretty apparent, too, not just from what you said, but from what a lot of other people have said who are either on the main roster now, no longer with the company, whatever. Whenever they speak about their time in NXT, Sean, they always praise you and Hunter as far as the relationship that they had with you guys and the vision you had for their character, the brand, whatever. Um, is that something that you strive to have with the talent as far as that open communication? As far, cause there's, there's been a lot of people that talk about Dexter before he just came back on We spoke a lot on Friday, and since we last spoke on Friday, Karrion came back, we see Dexter back, and he spoke recently about how you kind of keep in communication with him even prior to, to when he returned to WWE is that something that's important to you because if so it's a great attribute to have it absolutely is again you know my, I, I tell him I give darn near every person that walks into this building my number and I tell him it's never going to change and I don't want to just because like Hunter and I believe this and it's something he started here a, lot, you know, a long time ago and certainly um, something I learned in 2002 like it, everything essentially is going to come down to relationship and and trust you know what i mean and 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 we want we want the town to know that we believe in them and and again and that we genuinely do care i mean i don't know if the success i was just talking about it you know this morning with a meeting with you know with you know my creative group which is again um Every person that works walks into this building we have to understand that's it's a privilege for us they're putting their life, their aspirations in our hands. And we have to honor that and take it seriously, especially now with the recruiting that we do now. Darn near everybody that walks into this place got a college degree in something. Mm-hmm. But they're choosing to put that aside right now to pursue something else. And it is up to us to really take that seriously and do everything we can. You can't take a day off. And I don't, you know, it was something I get. I, you know, I felt like I was you know, railing against them. And I, I didn't mean to be there, but I'm just so passionate about it. I just don't understand doing this job if you're not going to try to do it to the, to the best of your ability. I don't understand not wanting to be the best at something. And so um, whether it's coaching, whether it's producing, whether it's writing, again, wanting, you know, part of you reflected in that and it being looked at as positive or being done well. And so... Um, anyway, I, I'm once again getting on my soapbox, so I apologize. <laughs> so I'm just saying this. I know Hunter and I uh, definitely have that in common. We cared so much about it when we were doing it. When we wanted that change back in 1995, it wasn't because we didn't respect the business. It was quite the opposite. We loved it, but, but we just saw that it was time to change. It needed to change, and it needs to grow and evolve with the times. Um, no generation is the same as the last. And again, you can't. Again, I'm, I, I love the way it was in my day. But I don't think that's what something we should do again because it's been done and they've seen it. This business is supposed to evolve. The talent's supposed to get better. They're supposed to get faster. And they're supposed to look at it differently. And I don't think that should be, I don't know, it should be, I don't know, blown off as not important. I think you need to hear them out and then strike a, I don't know, strike an agreement. Find it, you know, collaborate and find a middle ground that you can both live with. And that's what we're looking forward to, you know, to doing here in, in the very near future. Fantastic. No, it's fascinating to hear, Sean. You guys have an amazing vision. We're seeing that with NXT. We're going to see it on Sunday with this A&E doc on D-Generation X. Last quick question for you. Looking at the modern roster, what we got right now, NXT main roster, maybe even people that aren't here. If you were to make a modern DX, who do you think would be a good fit for it that comes to the top of your head? Gosh, I don't, right now, honestly, the first one that pops off in my head is somebody like a Grayson Waller. Mm-hmm. From an NXT standpoint, uh, 
you know, I, I like Grayson. I think he's got a just a ton of personality. Look, Carmelo Hayes a little bit too, but he's he's almost almost too cool for DX. I'm not sure he's 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 a mature young man for his age. Grayson's a little bit, uh, you know, Grayson likes to have a little bit more fun and is a little bit more loose. Right, the first one that jumps off at the top of my head is uh, Grayson Waller. Great fit. Great answer, Sean. Thanks a lot for the time, man. I appreciate it. Sorry for the terrible service, but it was awesome chatting with you. Like I said, Andy Doc coming up on Sunday on Biography on D-Generation X, airing this Sunday, August 14th, 8 p.m. on a Sean, this has been great. Such a pleasure to chat with you within two times of the same week. I'm sure we'll talk again at some point down the road. Thanks, man. Thank you again. Thanks so much for helping us out on, on, on both of these things. Big thanks again to HBK for the time. Thoroughly enjoyed the chat. As I mentioned earlier, you can check out our interview right now over on DailyDDT.com in article form and our other interview over on Bleach Report from about a week ago, the audio of which has not been aired yet. Um, This was the second interview. I'll probably post that at some point. But uh, yeah, both interviews are up right now over on Bleach Report and DailyDDT.com respectively. So check them out. Um, That being said, let's get right into the newsworthy week from WWE and AEW. Talking Raw for Monday first, we'll then work our way to Heatwave NXT show on NXT's Heatwave show rather on Tuesday, and then Dynamite on Wednesday. Closing out with the juicy stuff from the last 24 hours on uh, the NXT UK expansion and the Punk and Page drama. We'll close with that stuff. Start with Raw for Monday, which wasn't as newsworthy of a show. But still a solid show on the on the whole with uh, three what I thought very good matches between Theory and Ziggler in the main event. We had a great United States Championship match between Bobby Lashley and AJ Styles and Kevin Owens and Drew McIntyre putting on a banger in the middle of the show. And that was probably the highlight of the night for me. Um, but a good Raw. We did have the return of Hit Row last Friday on SmackDown. We don't ordinarily talk SmackDown here on the show. We did last week because Karrion Cross came back the week before. We talked about that here on the show last week. Uh, we had another return on last Friday's show in the form of Hit Row. I went into more depth about it on my SmackDown audio review from last weekend, but I'm a fan of the move. I was a fan of the group when they were first on NXT in the main roster about a year ago. They got cut unceremoniously, abruptly. Without really be, They weren't really ever given a chance to get over on the main roster. And it sounded like the reason they were let go was due to some backstage heat, specifically on top dollar for management. And if BFAB was already let go for whatever reason, and they let go of Top Dalla, at that point, I guess the mindset was, well, let's just get rid of the rest of the group. And that's what they did. Thankfully, with new management in charge in Triple H, he brought them back. Top Dalla recalled the entire process on uh, Busted Open Radio last weekend. And it was fascinating stuff to hear what Triple H's end of it all was and him saying, listen, you're coming back with a clean slate. So... Let's see if it works. And now they can get over on their own mare. It may not work. This version of Hit Row without Isaiah Swerve Scott, now known obviously as Swerve, as, as Swerve Strickland and AEW, one half of the AEW World Tag Team Champions, it may not work. But at least we'll know it's sink or swim on the talent's end. And it's not because of the booking or due to one man's vision, that being Vince McMahon. I like that. So let's give them a shot. Let's get them rolling in the SmackDown tag team division. They can need, they could use the fresh blood on their show. Raw could use some fresh blood as well. We got Dexter Loomis back on Raw about a week ago. He was once again, one of the more intriguing parts of Raw on Monday. So no returns this week on Raw. Like I said, though, from an in-ring standpoint, a good show and a solid show on the whole to kind of move things forward. And like I said, we got the return of Theory on this show. He and Ziggler went one-on-one in the main event. They did not, and I thought it might have been just me. So we got the United, and I'll be all over the place with this review, by the way. We got the United States Championship match, which wasn't announced until I think last Friday, SmackDown for Monday's Raw. 
First time ever, AJ Styles, Bobby Lashley. If you can believe that. Both men are former TNA Impact World Champions, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they were formerly World Champions in TNA. But I don't think they were ever really there for the same time. Lashley's first run there lasted about just a cup of coffee. He debuted at Lockdown 09. I don't think he ever really kicked off. I don't think he kicked off that run with TNA until a couple of months later when I wasn't watching at that point. And he was there for a few months. I don't think he and AJ ever had a match. I mean, I don't think they would say first time ever for the Raw match. If I mean, I guess it could have happened elsewhere and they wouldn't give a shit. It was the first time ever in WWE. Uh, I, I don't think they ever had a match during that first run, though. When Lashley came back in 2014, and that was that great run that he had, he was there for four years, became a four or five time TNA World Heavyweight Champion. I think AJ was already gone by that point. Lashley came back in the spring of 2014. Styles had left a couple of months prior, so they never really crossed paths. The interesting thing is that they've both been in WWE now for four years, and even on the same show at certain points. I mean, when Lashley came back, he's been on Raw the entire time. Styles has largely been a SmackDown superstar. Um, Styles was on Raw for a little while in 2019, then he got shipped over to SmackDown. He was a heel at that point, so he never got the match. And they've been on the same show now for a little while. But again, they've both been babyfaces. Uh, I mean, AJ only turned earlier this year into a babyface after being a heel for a while. And uh, Lashley was a heel when AJ was a heel. And when Lashley went face, AJ went face. So they never had a chance to really go one-on-one until this week. And they had a great match. So I thought that would be the main of the show. And looking back on it now, honestly, I feel like that should have closed the show. And it didn't. Instead, we got Theory and Dolph Ziggler. The idea here might have been, listen, Theory, we're building him for bigger and better things. He's a future world champion. They're not going to give up on him. The whole idea of, oh, he was a Vince McMahon guy. He'll lose his push with Triple H in charge. People forgetting the fact that it was Triple H who hired Theory to NXT in the first place three years ago. Theory was the evolved champion at the time that Triple H signed him to NXT. And it was Vince who called up Theory prematurely in early 2020 during the pandemic. Theory was a part of WrestleMania 36, the one with no fans. He was in that Raw Tag Team title match alongside Angel Garza against the Street Profits. And then he was only on the main roster for a few months. I think he got caught up in the whole um, speaking out thing, which I don't know if it was ever really resolved on that end. I'm not exactly sure. But he disappeared for a few months, came back in late 2020 on NXT, joined the way. He was there for about a year before getting called up again in the draft last year. So he's been back and forth between Raw and SmackDown and NXT quite a bit. I mean, not SmackDown. He was never part of SmackDown. But he's been on NXT and Raw on and off for the last three years. And it all started with Triple H. So the thought of Theory ever losing his push never really crossed my mind, and I still don't feel that way, especially after how he was booked in this main event. Theory, after he won Money in the Bank, which I was one of the few people that was not opposed to that move, and I don't think he should cash in and win the title anytime soon, but I was not opposed to him winning that contract when he did a month and a half ago, because I do feel he is a future face in this company. Not as a babyface right now, but as a heel. When I say future face, I'm talking future main eventer on Raw or SmackDown. And they've done a nice job so far of building him up. He shed all the goofy aspects of his character soon upon getting called up. He did the selfie gimmick, kind of stealing from Tyler Breeze, but whatever. Uh, whether that was his idea or WWE's idea or whatever. So he started doing that. Started beating a series of important names on the show. 
He racked up wins over Rey Mysterio. He racked up wins over Dominic Mysterio, Jeff Hardy before he got cut. He beat Finn Balor on a number of occasions before beating Balor for the United States Championship back in the month of April. And then he was only champion for a few months, obviously lost it to Lashley at Money in the Bank before winning the briefcase later on in the show. The problem with, with, with Theory and his booking is the fact that he's only really lost every single match he's had, I believe, since he became Mr. Money in the Bank back in early July. Whether Triple H has been in charge or Vince has been in charge or whoever, Theory has lost, up until Monday anyway, every single match he has had. He, he lost to Lashley, the rematch to Lashley, at SummerSlam. He was going to cash in that night. He came out during the main event between Brock and Roman. He did not cash in, but he still had his ass handed to him. Brock beat him up in the build-up to SummerSlam. He lost to Mad Cat Moss by DQ on SmackDown right before the pay-per-view. He lost a couple of tag team matches, six-man tag team action, uh, six-man tag team action matches. Um, he lost a variety of matches leading up to that pay-per-view, and he hasn't been on SummerSlam, or rather on Raw, since SummerSlam due to a death in the family. So he was back this week. They picked up where they left off with the Ziggler feud. And the Ziggler feud, it's been so long since they last furthered that, because I don't even know if they interacted on the Raw before the pay-per-view. Ziggler started costing Theory matches about a month and a half ago, right after he became Mr. Money in the Bank. And the reason why the rivalry started, we never really found out until this week on Raw when Ziggler confronted Theory backstage in the promo segment. And he mentioned exactly what I thought he would, and that when Ziggler won the Money in the Bank briefcase 10 years ago, if you can believe it, and held it for a very long time, he claims to have earned it, which he did. Theory, the thing is here is that Theory did earn winning the briefcase. He won that match as clean as could be. It's not as if anyone interfered in the match, won the briefcase for him. This wasn't a case of Seth Rollins uh, winning the briefcase back in 2014 with the help of Kane, which was very much a thing. Kane helped Rollins win the Money in the Bank briefcase back in 2014. That was not the case with Theory. Theory was inserted into the match, so if that's what he means and that you didn't earn your way into the match before winning the briefcase, then he's correct. So, again, they picked up where they left off with the feud, and it's been so long since the feud was really a thing on Raw that it was, I don't want to say hard to care about this match, but it wasn't just that. It was also the fact that Dolph Ziggler, main eventing in 2022, probably not the best call because Ziggler has been so devalued on this show. People still care about him. And we talked about this a month and a half ago when they first started doing the feud. Arjun and I agreed. I didn't think the idea of the feud was a bad idea just because Ziggler is established. They can have good matches. You can get Theory even more over than he already is. We haven't seen Ziggler as a babyface in a little while. I think it would work. So far, it has worked, I think. And Ziggler lost clean in the main event of Raw. The thing is, they did not advertise this in advance. We also did not know it would be closing the show until after a certain point in the show. Like, literally until after 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Monday, we did not know this was headlining the show. We all kind of assumed it would be Lashley and Styles because that was what was heavily hyped coming into Raw on Monday night. So I don't know if I would have put it in the main event slot because the crowd didn't really sound like they cared. But like I said, to their credit, they had a good match. Theory won clean. And going back to what I said earlier, I feel the idea of putting this match in the main event slot was to kind of condition people, hey, Theory can win clean, he can beat established talent, no matter how damaged they are in Dolph Ziggler, and he can main event to show. So maybe this is beginning the process of slowly making people think and buy into the fact that Theory can headline shows, beat 
top, not top talent. Ziggler isn't a top talent at this point as far as where he is in the pecking order. Um, but it was a step in the right direction, although it did not make for the hottest ending to Raw that we've seen since Triple H took over. I thought last week had more of that intrigue with the Dexter Loomis stuff, which we saw in the Lashley and Styles match. So they had their match. Miz and Ciampa come down. Miz and Ciampa earlier in the episode beat Cedric Alexander and Mustafa Ali, by the way, in a great tag team match. Ali and Alexander, two guys that, I mean, specifically in the case of Alexander, feels like he's had a million fucking partners. He and Ali have history and have been allies on and off for years now, but Alexander was with the Hurt Business. He was teaming with Ricochet for a while in 2020. He's had a lot of different partners in the last few years, Ali being the latest one. They do work well together. It got them on Raw. They had a fun match. Ciampa and Miz won. Ciampa picked up the win for the team. So that was interesting. But anyway, back to Ciampa and Miz interfering in Lashley and Styles. I wasn't too high on that. I really did not want that match to end on a DQ. We already had a DQ earlier in the show. And it's not that WWE can't do DQs. I feel like there is a happy medium to where you could do DQs and non-finishes and stuff like that without going overboard with that and we only had one this week, you probably shouldn't even do one an episode. Or like, one on Raw, one on SmackDown. Like, do one every few weeks. Don't never do a DQ or a countout, but you don't have to have one one every episode. Doing one in Owens and McIntyre, which I'll get to in a moment. I know I'm working myself backward here from Raw, but, because uh, that was what, like the first of the three big matches on the show, and then Styles and Lashley, and then um, the main event between Theory and Ziggler. So we got one of Owens and McIntyre already. I did not want to see another DQ in Lashley and Styles, which we did not get. They came down to ringside, and the reason for that being, while Miz, or before he can get involved at ringside, Dexter Loomis jumps the barricade, security once again takes him away, they cut the commercial real quick, the commentators barely acknowledged it, and they moved on. The execution of it was perfect. A lot like it was the week prior. And it leaves you thinking, was Dexter after Miz? Or was Dexter after AJ Styles? When we saw Dexter attempt to interfere in the show last week, the shot was of Dexter in the crowd being taken away, hood being, you know, being unhooded, whatever, by the security team before being escorted out of the arena, and Styles looking over at him. This week, it was Dexter and Miz kind of sharing a uh, staring exchange there. They exchanged stares, and then Dexter was taken off again. So we don't know who he's supposed to be after. Honestly, I hope it's a ruse and they're teasing Miz, but it's actually Styles. Because Dexter was a heel, if at all, but maybe very briefly when he first came into NXT in 2019, then again in 2020. He was largely a babyface, though. And it was a character that worked. He got over in the whole way stuff, the Dexter, or rather the Indy Hartwell storyline. I thoroughly enjoyed the payoff, was great with the wedding. Didn't quite know what to do with it after that, did NXT, but the character was over in NXT. Kind of lost his push a little bit when they uh, made the change over to NXT 2.0, but whatever. He was always a guy, though, that I was intrigued to see on the main roster if he ever got called up, because he is more of a character guy. I can't remember a single great Dexter Loomis match I've seen in WWE or even elsewhere, for that matter. And the guy's not a bad worker, but he has great and compelling character work. We do not have a character like Dexter Loomis on any WWE show right now. Bree Wyatt was similar with the creepy vibes, and he might be on his way back, uh, which we'll talk about either today or another time. I'm not sure if we have time for it. But Dexter, I always thought, was the perfect fit for the main roster. The thing with the Dexter Loomis character I wish we got to see more of in NXT 
and we can still see now, is him as a heel. He was always the lovable, weird, creepy babyface in NXT, and it worked, but I want to see them try with him as a heel first before going the comedy route, inevitably on the main roster. You know it's coming at some point, and hopefully it's comedy done right with Triple H in charge and not the comedy only intended to make Vince McMahon laugh. But I want to see him as a heel first, and I think him and AJ is the perfect first feud for him to have. Another guy that never, ever interacted with AJ for as long as he was in TNA. Um, He was Samuel Shaw winning the gut check stuff back in 2012. And they aired vignettes for him uh, leading into his re-debut as Sam Shaw. Or maybe it was Sam Shaw first and then Samuel Shaw. I don't remember, but um, they aired vignettes for him leading into early 2014. The same show, I looked this up. The same show that he re-debuted in Impact was a week before AJ Styles left the company. I mean, he left the company in December of 2013, but the way that it aired was AJ came back in the first Impact of 2014 as the TNA World Champion, lost the belt in a unification match to Magnus the following week, and that was the end of AJ in TNA. Dexter appeared on that episode that Styles returned on, back in January of 2014. So, again, unless they had a match on the show and when he was still Sam Shaw, Samuel Shaw before the whole creepy gimmick, I don't remember them ever interacting in TNA. So, it's a fresh feud. You know, Dexter and Loomis will not be the next world champion, but AJ's an established guy. I do want to see AJ be built back up. I don't think you have to do that with him as the United States champion. I feel like at this point, his ceiling is higher than that. We've seen him in recent years as the U.S. champion, as the Intercontinental champion, as a tag team champion. That's great. But we really haven't seen AJ as a main eventer in quite a long time. I want to see them try their hand at that and see where that takes them. Because AJ only has so many years left. I don't think he's retiring next year. It seemed like he could be retiring this year, next year, whatever, when his contract came, came due. Clearly, he's not leaving anytime soon. It was reported a while ago from Fightful. He resigned. Great. I still don't think they should be underutilizing AJ Styles. To get Dexter Loomis over off the bat, I think that works. But the long game with Styles should be to get him back in the main event picture, if only for a couple of feuds with people like Drew McIntyre or Roman Reigns. I mean, the fact they have yet to run back AJ and Roman from six years ago, to me, is mind-blowing. Because they had that great series of matches back in the spring of 2016. They had the one match of Payback and another one at Extreme Rules. Both matches were great. They never ran it back. I'm sure they've interacted in multi-man matches since then, but I don't think we've seen a single Roman versus AJ one-on-one match. And now that Roman's not wrestling on TV really at all, of course we're not going to see it now. But I think that'd be the perfect pay-per-view match. Even if AJ, obviously, if AJ came up short, I think that's totally fine. But you got to start rebuilding him, though. He's lost a lot. He lost to Ciampa two weeks ago. He lost to Lashley this week. If they do the Dexter feud, he probably will and should lose to Dexter. Um, But Again, I'm all over the place here. But I do want to see AJ back in the main event picture long-term where he belongs and get that one last, maybe not even the last, but like one, another great run from AJ in the main event scene. We really have not seen him consistently featured in the main event scene since he lost the WWE Championship, get this, four years ago. He's had a couple of one-off opportunities, like he faced Rollins for the Universal Championship and that and that great match that I was there for, 2019 Money in the Bank in Hartford. Phenomenal match. He had that great match on TLC 2020 with Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. He was involved in a few Elimination Chamber matches. But he hasn't had a real run at a top title really since 2018. So that's what I want to see more of out of Styles. 
going forward, maybe not next week, but ultimately that should be what they're building to, in my opinion. Lashley, though, keeps rolling as the United States champion. Their match started slow. The crowd wasn't really into it early on due to both guys, I would think, being babyfaces. But once they picked up that pace after Miz and Ciampa came out, they were booted from ringside. We got the Dexter Loomis shenanigan out of the way. And it was all action from that point forward. That was when the crowd really bought into what they were doing. And I, I became a big fan of the match. They worked well together, had a great encounter, a great clash over that United States Championship, further making it feel important. That should be another goal right now, Triple H and company. Making those mid-card titles feel important. It really doesn't take a lot because Vince was doing nothing to accomplish that. Not to say every reign of the United States Championship or the Intercontinental title has been shit over the last couple of years, but they feel more important and prestigious now than they have at any other point in the last maybe five, six, seven years. At least since John Cena was the United States Champion back in 2015. And we're going back quite a ways with that one. So I enjoyed that. Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens, as I mentioned earlier, another top highlight from Monday's show. And it was a match that we were never supposed to get. So Drew was on the show. He's obviously a SmackDown superstar. And I don't like the fact that he was on the show. I hope going forward they pay more attention to the fact that, you know, the the brand split. They take it more seriously. I don't know what Triple H's thoughts and the brand split are. Coming out of the draft, we may not even have a brand split anymore. I think we will. If there's even talk of a draft happening and he's bringing back more talent, you would think if they're getting rid of the brand split, they would get rid of talent that would get lost in the shuffle if the brand split was done away with. And we've seen a very soft split of the rosters in recent years because Vince just clearly wouldn't give a fuck. But it sounds like between Karrion Cross being brought back and the women and these tag teams and Dexter and people like that, that we are getting the brand split back. I would split the top two titles. I've said that before. I know RJ agrees. I wouldn't necessarily split the tag team titles. Those divisions still need a lot of work. But... Uh, I do I, I do think they'll head towards a full-on split of the titles and the brands. And the only reason, well, a few reasons. They tried to explain that Drew was on the show because if he beats Roman, then he will be on the show as the undisputed WWE Universal Champion. The thing is, he's not currently the undisputed WWE Universal Champion. I know he's challenging for said title at Clash of the Castle, but he's not currently the champion, so technically he should not be allowed to be, to be on both brands. And not only that, but he's going to be on SmackDown tomorrow, facing off with Roman Reigns. Because we never really got that face-off between the two on SmackDown before Karrion Cross came back two weeks ago. So I did not think that Drew being on Raw was necessary. He may have already been scheduled for the show, because I know they made these, you know, lineups for, you know, who's going to be on each show and whatever a while ago. For example, if you look at the upcoming shows on WWE.com for a Raw or a SmackDown... You'll see in the dark match after Raw or SmackDown goes off the air, you'll probably see a Raw superstar in a SmackDown dark match or a SmackDown superstar in a Raw dark match. They do that on purpose because they want the star power on those shows and for people to buy tickets. So Drew may have already been scheduled to be there. Did he have to be on the show? No, but they figured out something for them to do that made sense with Drew McIntyre that left me looking forward to a rematch. That being with him and Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens, we've not really seen on Raw in quite a while. He came back last week, laid out Ezekiel. We saw the picture of Ezekiel's family in Raw this week, as dumb as that was. I thought it was funny. Do not need to see any further interaction between Ezekiel and Elias and Kevin Owens. That should be over. But he came out, 
mentioning the fact, which a lot of people have brought up lately, that Kevin Owens has not been a champion in WWE in five full years since he was last United States champion in the summer of 2017. That is wild. For a man, when he first came into the company, could not stop holding gold. He was NXT champion within two months of arriving in NXT. Within a matter of months of arriving on the main roster, he was Intercontinental Champion. He lost that. Won back the Intercontinental Championship in early 2016. Lost that. By the summer of 2016, he was Universal Champion. When he lost that, he was United States Champion by WrestleMania. Lost it, got it back, lost it, got it back. He was a three-time United States Champion in 2017. He has not been a champion since. That, to me, is criminal. Holding a title is not everything, but... For a guy of Kevin Owens' caliber, he really should have been a champion again after that. And a world champion at that. The guy is a tremendous talent. This is the Kevin Owens, the Kevin Owens he alluded to here, that he referred to here as the prize fighter that we first saw in NXT years ago. That's the Kevin Owens I want to see going forward. That's the Kevin Owens I want to see featured in the main event scene on Raw or SmackDown. And I get the feeling that we're probably going to see that again very, very soon, based off the promo he cut here and the response we got from Drew. They left me looking forward to a Drew and Kevin Owens rematch. The match was great, but the promos that preceded it were even better. And it felt like it really confirmed the reports from about a week or two ago that the talent are getting more leeway for their promos. I'm sure they're still scripted to an extent, and I'm not even saying do away entirely with scripted promos. There are people who need the help. But people like Drew and Kevin who have been doing this for a long time really do not need word-for-word you know, word -word promos written for them. Just bullet points would work. And we got that on, on, on Monday's Raw. You can feel the passion. You can sense the intensity between both men. Drew went off on Kevin Owens about being a former WWE champion. He's carried this company for a few months or for a few years now. Drew McIntyre mentioned the reports of his back being hurt, which apparently are a shoe. He didn't, he didn't shit on him. He didn't deny the reports. It sounded like they are accurate that he might be dealing with a back injury right now and he's working through it. That's why he didn't work the house shows last weekend. They want to save him. They want to make sure he's 100% or close to 100% as possible come Clash of the Castle. But he told Kevin Owens, listen, I've beaten Brock Lesnar, I've beaten Randy Orton, I've beaten Goldberg, I've beaten them all. And don't ever tell me that, you know, I was once the chosen one, I got fired, I had to bust my ass to get back here. Don't ever tell me that what I'm saying is not true about me being the man who has carried this company for three years. Now, there was a lot of truth to what Drew said. I thought both guys made a lot of great points. And even Kevin Owens mentioned how he and Sammy in that same building six years ago had their amazing battleground match back in 2016, which I thought was also very cool. And the match that followed, as I mentioned, was very, very good. These guys have had TV matches before on Raw and on SmackDown, and they've all been very good. I want to see at some point a full-fledged Drew and Kevin Owens feud. And it may very well be over the championship. There is a very good chance that Drew will ultimately be the one to take that undisputed WWE Universal Championship from Roman Reigns at Clash of the Castle. And if he does, one of his first few challengers could be Kevin Owens. It could be Karrion Cross. That's also a very likely possibility. Uh, Kevin Owens probably wouldn't win. But at some point, if and when they do split up the championships, Kevin Owens deserves another run with a top title in WWE. Not only just a mid-card title or a secondary title, the guy should be a world champion again. If only due to the fact that, yes, there are people who never win world championships in WWE. Kevin Owens was a world champion, and not for five minutes. He was a champion for six or seven months. He was a champion almost exactly, uh, not from, I don't think it was this coming Monday, but the following Monday. Because six years from this weekend would have been SummerSlam 
2016 weekend. I remember because I was there. Like literally exactly six years from tomorrow, I left for New York for SummerSlam weekend, had a great time. Not that Monday, that was when Finn Balor dropped the title. But the following Monday was when he won that Universal Championship. And he was champion all the way through March of 2017 when he lost it to Goldberg in like 30 seconds or whatever at Fastlane. The way he lost it was bullshit. The way he won it was great. Everything in between, it's not like he had this great run that ended on a sour note. It ended on a sour note with Goldberg beating him the way that he did. But the rain itself was very underwhelming and it had nothing to do with Kevin Owens himself. It was not Kevin's fault. He was booked to look like the authorities' lapdog the entire time. He was not booked to look strong. He lost a lot of matches on TV to Seth Rollins, to Roman Reigns, to this guy, to that guy. He was not booked to look strong at all. He was basically just a paper champion for as long as he was champion up until he lost it to Goldberg. And again, that's not Kevin's fault. He had a lot of great moments as champion. The Jericho stuff was great. The Festival of Friendship execution was perfect. He got serious at the very end, and then he dropped the belt like three weeks later. So he deserves another run of the top, whether it be on Raw or on SmackDown. That was the top takeaway of this segment for me. I'm just kind of convinced at this point Drew is leaving Clash of the Castle as the top champion. And maybe we will get Drew and Kevin Owens coming out of it. Maybe at Extreme Rules. I heard Roman Reigns was not scheduled for that show. What a shock. But maybe we get Drew and Kevin on that show. Whenever we do get it, I don't assume Kevin Owens will win the championship from Drew a month or two later. Whoever beats Roman should probably have a pretty hefty reign with that championship. Um, But that being said... Kevin Owens at some point, whether it be later this year, early next year, with the title or one of the two titles, he should and deserves another run as a world champion in this company. The man is too good to not be featured at that level more consistently. Elsewhere on Raw, before we wrap it up here, we had Asuka and Alexa Bliss advancing in the WWE Women's Tag Team Title Tournament. Next week, they're facing Dakota Kai and Io Sky. I know last week RJ was pitching maybe uh, Dewdrop and Nikki Ash advance, and you know he, he wasn't a big fan of the fact that these two teams would be facing off in the semifinals. He'd rather have the titles wrapped up in another team story. I get that didn't necessarily, um, you know, de- didn't necessarily have to happen that way. I, it doesn't really matter to me either way. I've been picking Dakota Kai and Io Sky to win the whole thing for a while, really since this whole thing was announced. That's what I would stick with this, at this point. So nonetheless. Um, the match was fine between Asuka and Alexa Bliss and Nikki Ash and Dewdrop. I know Dewdrop mentioned about a week ago in an interview with Inside the Ropes that she did mention at Triple H that he is open to changing her name back to Piper Niven or whatever. And that could not happen soon enough. Hopefully now that they're out of the tournament, they could start building towards a split between the two and they get their names back and Nikki Ash is no more. That character I know was her idea, but it's terrible. So anyway, those were really the highlights of Monday's Raw. We also had the return of Riddle. And he and Seth Rollins will go one-on-one at Clash of the Castle. Uh, NXT Heatwave from Tuesday, I thought was a very good show. NXT 2.0, not a great show week-to-week. A lot of green people, a lot of great talent. And there's very little in between there. It is a developmental show at the end of the day. That should not be on TV. I do not change my stance on that. But these monthly specials have continued to be the best part of NXT 2.0 in this current era. Uh, Great American Bash was good, but we've had Spring Break-In, we've had Vengeance Day, we've had Halloween Havoc, among other you know monthly specials that have all been great. And this one might have been one of the better ones yet, at least in my opinion. And not only for the surprises either. Uh, we had a great opener between Carmelo Hayes and Giovanni Vinci, Vinci, however you pronounce it. Uh, terrific stuff there. Hayes retaining, of course. And 
kind of fluky fashion, so if they leave the door open for a rematch, I'm all for that. Gallus making their NXT debut, attacking Diamond Mind. It looked like Diamond Mind was on the outs there for a moment. Julius Creed calling out Roderick Strong, who was just not great on the mic at all. It looked like we were finally getting the dissolution of Diamond Mine, only before Gallus interrupted, and I thought Roddy might be aligned with them, and he might be directing traffic, but that's not what happened. Um, he was attacked as well. So we're probably getting Diamond Mine and Gallus at the NXT UK uh, Worlds Collide show that I'll get to in a little bit. Cora Jade, Roxanne Perez had a good match. They're still, you know, on the greener side. They're like 19, 20, 21, respectively. So not exactly, you know, seasoned vets, so it's understandable. But they had a good match. I'm sure they're capable of even better. We'll get that rematch at some point. Tony D'Angelo beating Santos Escobar in an all-or-nothing street fight. Now, per the stipulation of Escobar, as we talked about last week, if Escobar won, he and the rest of Legado del Fantasma would have been free from Tony D'Angelo and his family. But if D'Angelo won, then he would keep the rest of Legado in his ranks, and Escobar would be banned from NXT forever. And I figured, I think I picked D'Angelo to win last week, and then I started to think maybe Escobar will win. And he'll get called up anyway with the rest of his faction. Wouldn't make a lot of sense from a storyline standpoint, but I started to, I started to kind of entertain that possibility. But D'Angelo won. D'Angelo won what I thought was a very good match and my favorite on the show. And now Escobar in NXT is no more. He did tweet out the following day, thank you NXT. And uh, I would use that as an opportunity to call him up to the main roster. It sure seems like that's in the cards now. Escobar's been there for three years, if you can believe it. I think he signed his NXT contract, according to his, uh, his Wikipedia page, three years ago, earlier this week, if not last week. And he's been ready for a long time. He should have been called up a year ago. And the guy's not getting any younger. The guy is a tremendous all-around talent. He needs to be on the main roster fucking... I say tomorrow, like literally... I say figuratively, but it could be literally. He could show up on SmackDown as soon as tomorrow. In my opinion, though, SmackDown already got a big single star in Karrion Cross. I know Raw got Dexter Loomis, but if they want a bigger single star on Raw, it, it should be Santos Escobar. They could wait for the draft, but... I mean, technically he's a free agent. He wouldn't be drafted from NXT. They could wait for the draft. I would call him up ASAP. Wait until after Clash if you want. I would put him on Raw. And I think a few of the Mysterios would be great. I know they're currently occupied in the feud with Judgment Day. But I feel like Escobar and Ray Ray would be fucking great. So that's what I would do. But um, hopefully he is main roster bound very soon. And that's not a case of uh, Bronson Reed getting you know, called up to the main roster only to not get called up and get fired instead. I don't think that's the case here with Escobar. So I enjoyed that match. Mandy Rose and Zoe Stark, NXT Women's Championship. Another good match. Probably one of Mandy Rose's better matches as champion up to this point. Uh, Stark doesn't really interest me as a character, but, you know, she's been on a roll since coming back from injury about a month ago, and she's a great worker. And I thought she and Rose had a very good match, largely because of Stark. But Rose, you know, Rose played her role well and held her own as well. So good stuff there. Um, she's still the champion. The Keita Alliance came down to combat the interference from the rest of Toxic Attraction. I, I maintain my disappointing prediction that we are probably headed for a Mandy Rose title change, losing it to Nikita Lyons at some point. I still don't think Lyons is ready for that. I know she and Zoe Stark will be in the tag team title tournament on Friday against Natalia and Sonya on SmackDown. They could very well advance. Either way, I do not think Nikita Lyons is ready for any sort of gold in this company. That is my thing. She'll probably win it anyway. I'm already preparing for that possibility, but it sure seems like we're headed in that direction. 
And then we got the main event, Braun Breaker beating J.D. McDonough to retain the NXT Championship in a good match. Not a great match, but a good match. And then the theme throughout the show, between Gala showing up, Blair Davenport confronting Indy Hartwell, who was gifted with a uh, happy birthday to Indy Hartwell, Hartwell, by the way. She celebrated her, I think, 25th birthday on on Wednesday, so happy birthday to her. But she was given a uh, card from a mysterious, anonymous, you know, you know, anonymous, uh, what, what's the word for it? Not crush, but, uh, anonymous lover. Lover's not the, I mean, it is her, it is her lover, but there's, there's a word for this sort of thing. Um, anonymous something. I forget the word. It's not coming to my mind, but anyway, she was given a mystery card from obviously Dexter Loomis. It was made pretty clear by the card she was reading and Blair Davenport interrupted her. So Blair Davenport's officially in NXT and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Coming out of the main event, we had the NXT return, he's been on NXT before, of the apparently new WWE United Kingdom champion, Tyler Bate, confronting Braun Breaker, and both men held up their championships as the show went off the air. So you're probably thinking at that time, as I was, what the fuck is going on here? Gallus was already rumored to be coming to the main roster, or to be coming to the NXT roster a week ago, alongside Charlie Dempsey. I had heard nothing about Blair Davenport, Gallus has been ready. I mean, the thing with Gallus, I don't really care about Gallus, but they've been in NXT UK for so long now that it was probably, they were probably overdue for a move to NXT, either get released or be moved over to NXT. And I'll get to releases in a moment because there were a lot of releases today on the NXT UK front. Ironically, the same day the show airs over on Peacock, at least in this, in, in this country. So anyway, they were moved over. Blair Davenport's been in the midst of a UK women's title feud right now with Mako Satamora, and we never got that third match, and maybe we still will in the coming weeks, but we never got that, so she showed up on Tuesday, and then Tyler Bate, who is the UK champion, and I say apparently new, because it hasn't, the tournament hasn't even finished filming, or airing rather, on television. The show airs every Thursday on Peacock, uh, on Peacock, I'm sure, of one of five people who still watches um, NXT UK on the weekly. The thing with that, though, is that, like I said, they're airing this tournament. It doesn't sound like the show's finished airing. I haven't looked at Peacock yet, but I'm sure they're still airing the show every week on that platform. They haven't, they've barely even started this fucking tournament. It was two weeks ago on the show. I think it was two weeks ago that Dragunov vacated the championship due to injury. He won it about a year ago from Walter and he had to vacate it two weeks ago due to an injury. Tyler B did the tapings. I already knew he was champion. I saw a picture of him as, I think fucking Triple H actually posted a of all people, posted a picture of him as champion. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, accidentally, whatever. So that happened, but they had actually never fully publicly announced that he was champion until he showed up as champion on Tuesday show. The tournament is still airing every week on Peacock. And it sounds like the tapings are over for now. It came out last week that they canceled the tapings and the future of the brand was in question. And then it came out today. We'll kind of tie this into what happened today it was announced that NXT UK will be becoming NXT Europe very, very soon, as early as, I think, 2023. So a lot is included in the press release that they want to expand beyond the UK. It really has been NXT Europe this entire time. I mean, you look at the history of NXT UK as a brand. Rhea Ripley, Tony Storm, Walter, none of them come from England. Like, they don't actually come from the UK. There's a lot of other talents on that brand currently and and were on that brand that were not from the UK. So the name never really made much sense, but I know they had the UK championship, whatever. 
On paper, it sounds like a simple name change, but when you read more into the details of what they're going to be doing with NXT UK going forward, it sounds like it's going to be a lot more than that. So it came out earlier today from all the talents involved on the brand that pretty much anyone that's not being moved to the U.S. either doesn't want to or they just don't want a part of NXT NXT U.S. or whatever, NXT 2.0, is being released. Uh, Rohan Raja, Dave Mastiff, Mark Andrews, Flash Morgan Webster, Amelia McKenzie, Nina Samuels, the list goes on and on. There's probably more than what I'm even have read so far in the uh, couple of hours since the news broke. And we saw Tyler Bate on Tuesday's show. We saw, like I said, Gallus and Blair Davenport. That probably tells you those are the people they're going to be holding on to in NXT itself before NXT Europe comes to fruition. Now, I'm very curious what NXT Europe is going to be looking like now that we know anyone under contract to NXT UK has been let go. And it feels like, as other people have said, like a long time coming. Because NXT UK has been a dead brand for a very long time. They've had some amazing matches, especially in recent years. Walter and Ilya 1 and 2 were two of the best matches of each respective year in 2020 and 2021. But the rest of the show, especially this year, has not been good. And that's coming from someone who has watched every single week and reviewed it since the show started four years ago. It was really inevitable that NXT UK was going to be shutting down. It honestly shocked me since they started doing the mass releases dating back to when COVID first started in early 2020, that NXT UK was basically untouched. They did let go of a few people, a few people left on their own. Uh, A few other people like, uh, what were their names? I don't even remember. But there were a few people that were let go due to the speaking out stuff. Um, I know Jack Gallagher was one, but he wasn't in NXT UK. There were a few other people whose names are escaping me right now. The guy that, not Tio, man, he's currently on the show or was on the show recently. Uh, Legero, Legero, and a few other people, uh, Travis Banks, I think his name was, they were let go as part of the speaking out movement as part of that whole thing. That was two years ago. Beyond that, NXT UK has remained untouched as far as releases go. They have let go of people from the office, from NXT, from the main roster, but not really from NXT UK. It started to make me think Vince forgot that brand even existed, and that's why no cuts were were taken there, which is great for them. Don't want to see anyone out of a job, but it was interesting. Comes out today, NXT Europe starting up, uh, presumably in 2023, and they're going to be wrapping up the current incarnation of NXT UK with the World's Collide Show on Sunday, September 4th. That's very exciting. The World's Collide Shows are always very good. It started out as a Royal Rumble, WrestleMania weekend access sort of event where they would air the... I mean, it started out first with the access events surrounding the Rumble a few years ago, back in 2019. And they aired those as part of a tournament over Rumble weekend, or maybe a week later, I don't remember. And then the winner got like a North American title shot. I think it was Velveteen Dream, I could be wrong, maybe it was someone else, I don't remember. That was what Worlds Collide started out as. Then it turned into they just filmed matches over WrestleMania weekend and aired them on like one-hour specials in the weeks that followed. That's where we got Dominic Dajakovic versus Harper, and that very good match between those two, among other matches between stars of 205 Live and NXT and NXT UK. And then we didn't see it for a little while. They brought it back over Rumble weekend in 2020 as a one-off, like, two-hour event, pitting the stars of NXT UK against the stars of NXT. It was a great one-off event, The problem was COVID happened. NXT UK basically shut down. They stopped doing takeovers for NXT UK. They've had the weekly show on since September of 2020. They shut the whole show down for like six months. 
Um, but they've done the weekly show for about two years now. There was never really an endgame as far as what they were building to. They've gotten fans back only just in the last year, which was weird. They got fans back a lot later than the main roster did and NXT did and all those other sort of shows and other companies, which was very weird. Um, but I guess that obviously works a bit differently over in England. They have different restrictions. That's understandable. But there was never any more talk of another UK takeover, which is what they were building to a few years ago, TakeOver Dublin. They canceled that, and it sounds like we're never getting that now. We're kind of getting that in the form of Clash of the Castle in a few weeks, which is great for the main roster, not so great for NXT UK. So the news of the brand shutting down in its current form is hardly surprising. It sounds like they're salvaging whoever's left from NXT UK and putting them on NXT proper in the U.S., we're talking Blair Davenport. I'm sure Ilya Dragunov is going to be safe. They'd be dumb as hell to let him go. They'd be dumb as hell to let, you know, um, uh, Mako Satomura go, who's the current UK Women's Champion. Don't know if she would make the current jump over to, N- uh, to NXT US on a full-time basis or if she would just be a trainer or whatever. I'm sure she'll be a part of Worlds Collide. I hope so because she's amazing. Um, but anyway, so that's the current update on NXT and everyone that I mentioned, Rohan Raja, Dave Mastiff, Mark Andrews, uh, Flash Morgan Webster, Primate, Wild Boar, Amelia McKenzie, Nina Samuels, and pretty much everyone else has been let go. Now that doesn't necessarily mean based off their tweets, it sounds like they're just done in general and they've all been thank you WWE tweets, but that's not to say that they can't be brought back at another point down the road for NXT Europe. This could be a situation like with Ring of Honor, where Ring of Honor shut down, and everyone essentially became a free agent after December, after January, April, whatever. And then some of those people have since been brought back as part of the new Ring of Honor and AEW. That is very possible, where they don't want to keep these people under contract. If they have no use for them, they're not going to be bringing them over to NXT US, whether they don't want to or... The talent themselves don't want to make the move over to the States and they just can't they just can't afford to move or whatever, which is totally understandable. They might be letting them go and then could always resign them as part of NXT Europe whenever that launches early next year. Because it doesn't sound like they have a date set in mind for when that brand is coming back. We're still in August as we speak right now. That's another at least four or five, six months away. Could they keep the talent under contract? Sure. I mean they kept this talent under contract during COVID. Bit of a different scenario, but at this point, they don't know when they're coming back, and it's not even going to be NXT UK when it relaunches. It's going to be a whole new show. So it would be nice to see some of these people resurface when they bring back NXT Europe or relaunch NXT Europe or whatever you want to call it uh, come 2023, because again, they can, and they're going to need the talent does WWE for this brand. I'm not exactly sure what the current free agent market looks like for the European wrestling scene. I know it was really hot several years ago. It's obviously cooled down a lot since then. Um, I, I don't know how many free agents they can pick up, how that affects incoming free... Like, are they looking to do with NXT UK what they've done with the NXT and only bring in sports athletes that are not wrestlers? I mean, that could very well be the case and we just don't know. I don't think so, because I haven't heard anything on that front, but I could be wrong. It is very possible that they start to do with that brand what they've done with NXT, and they've they have established talent in NXT right now but they're not hiring a lot of indie talent. The only indie talent that I know of they hired to NXT in the last eight months was Roxy, the former Ring of Honor World Women's Champion. That's now Roxanne Perez. Beyond her, they've only really hired former sports athletes, Olympians, and stuff like that, which is great, and I've covered that before, and I've talked about it before, but you need established indie talent to make these shows work. NXT already has that. 
if they let go of their entire NXT UK roster and they may or may not bring those people back, who exactly are they signing to be a part of this show? If it's going to be a show, it may not even be a show. It may just be the program itself is a building ground for future talent coming into WWE down the road. You know, so it's very interesting. Um, the funniest part about this entire thing that I forgot to mention earlier, and I think I did actually allude to it, was the fact that Tyler Bate, that tournament haven't, hasn't even aired yet on NXT TV for him to become champion. And if they're still airing the show as we speak, then what the hell is the point of even airing the rest of the tournament? They're not filming any more shows beyond Worlds Collide on September 4th. So I assume the main event of that show will be Braun Breaker, Tyler Bate, maybe winner takes all. I mean, I don't think they would get rid of the championship. I said that on Wednesday that they would, but they may not. Um, they may want to keep it around for the eventual NXT Europe brand. Maybe they put it on ice for a while. I don't know. I mean, that title does have prestige. It's only been held by four men in the last five years. Pete Dunne, Walter, Ilya Dragunov, and now Tyler Bate. And Tyler Bate was the first champion as well. So um, only four men in the five reigns and four in five years, five reigns in five years among four men, which is pretty impressive. One of those reigns lasted 800 days. Pete Dunne's reign lasted 600 days. Ilya was champion for over 300 days at over a year. It's a prestigious title. I would like to see it kept around if it's going to be used in NXT Europe. Beyond that, probably just merge it. But it's hard to say right now because we're still early in the process of establishing whatever NXT Europe is going to be. So... Those are my thoughts on the whole NXT UK expansion. Now going over to Dynamite for Wednesday. We haven't talked a lot about Dynamite recently here on the show, but last night's show was one of the better shows in recent memory. I actually really liked the Quake by the Lake episode last week, the return of CM Punk. I thought Moxley and Jericho actually had a really good match uh, to open the show. I enjoyed Roosh and Andrade versus the Lucha Bros. I thought that was very good. I liked last week's show. This week's show I thought was also good on the whole, the second hour wasn't as strong as the first hour, but that first hour may very well be one of the best first hours in Dynamite history. That amazing exchange between Punk and Moxley uh, setting up their unification match, which will not be happening at All Out. It's going to be happening next week on Dynamite. So let me talk about the rest of the show, and then we'll get back to that. More stuff on the CM Punk front as well. Uh, coming out today from Fightful Select. But Brian Danielson, Daniel Garcia had an outstanding two out of three falls match. Great stuff there. Definitely Garcia's best match in AEW so far. Gained a lot with that performance and defeat. I've never been the biggest Garcia fan, but even I can admit he looked great in that match. They worked wonderfully together, and he looked like he gained a ton of credibility with that loss. So I'm hoping this... I, I really don't mind either way, but it sounds like he is leading into Blackpool Combat Club based on what we saw after that match, which may very well happen after Danielson likely faces Chris Jericho at All Out next month. So we got that match for about a half an hour. Tony Nese came down to the ring, or at least attempted to, before being attacked by John Moxley, but by John Moxley, and then he and Punk continue their brawl from beginning of, from the beginning of the show, which I thought was really well done. The brawls itself between Moxley and Punk weren't as hot as the actual verbal exchange which I'll get into in a moment, but I thought the way they did that was cool. Gun Club, Varsity Blondes, about a 30-second match. Gun Club won immediately. Varsity Blondes, call it a day. I like Brian Pillman. It was about a year ago they started pushing him on the show before they just basically gave the fuck up for some reason. Um, They have fallen very, very far in the last year, and I find them to be more interesting than the fucking Gun Club, but that's just me. Billy Gunn then gets turned on by, that sounds weird, by his own son. That sounds even weird. Even weirder, but... Um, they betray their own father, who then joins up with the acclaimed, who 
was betrayed by Billy Gunn, they were betrayed by Billy Gunn a couple of weeks ago. So none of this makes any sense. That was a stupid segment. Uh, Jungle Boy and Christian Cage going at it. Good mic work from Jungle Boy, showing more confidence on the mic. I think they, I thought that was very well done. Setting up their match for All Out, which is yet to be officially announced, but I'm sure that's where they're headed with that. Uh, Tony Storm beating Kylan King in about a five-minute match, and Kylan King has been on the shows before. She was a regular at one point on AEW Dark. She's talented. She's been in NWA lately. The problem with this, though, is... I mean, let's just get into it now. The women's division in AEW, not the division itself, I should rephrase that. The booking of the women in AEW is embarrassingly bad. And I hate to have an, even have this discussion at this point. AEW's been around for over three years. Dynamite debuted three years ago from this coming October. There is no... Ex- I mean, there hasn't really been an excuse since day one, but there is absolutely no excuse at this point for how fucking poorly they present their women in this company. I loved what they did at the beginning of Dynamite with Moxley and Punk, what they did throughout the show with those two. I loved the Kenny Omega return, more on that momentarily. I thought the overall show was good. My bigger takeaway from this show, and really AEW as a whole right now, is how little their women's division means. They have all of, and I could be wrong, there might be more, But there's all of two stories going on right now in a division that has what feels like a million women. They've signed a lot of women in the last year. Ruby Soho went from being featured a lot to not featured at all, being brought back on the show as part of the Owen Hart Cup, losing like a fucking loser, and then disappearing from the show again. And she lost to Anna Jay recently. They're doing Anna Jay and Ty Conti. Who gives a fuck? The whole Anna Jay, Ty Conti, Ty Mello shit with Ruby Soho was fucking trash. It's terrible, and it's not a reflection of the talent. They're all very talented. The story itself, I could not give two fucks about. So I barely even count that. But we have Athena chasing Jade Cargill. Chris Statlander got hurt. That's unfortunate. You can't plan for that. But you still have Jade Cargill and Athena. There really hasn't been a lot of interesting developments in that storyline. It's really just been Athena chasing Jade. Jade's faced other women. She faced Madison Rain in a very piss-poor match last week here on the show. Not very good. Not terrible, but not very good. At least Jade and Athena have had some mic time. Tony Storm has been the number one contender to the AEW Women's World Championship for over two and a half months. She and Thunder Rosa have been basically feuding since the beginning of June. Right after Thunder Rosa beat Serena Deeb, Storm and Rosa have been feuding over that championship ever since. It has not been a blood feud they've teamed in recent weeks, but the only reason they fucking teamed was because Tony Khan has no other idea how to book his fucking women. Storm and Rosa are two of the very best female or male athletes in the entire world. They're tremendous. They had a great match back at Forbidden Door. Why is it that in the last two and a half months since that storyline started, I cannot recall a single talking segment that these women have had on TV? Maybe they have, and I just missed it. People shit on it at the time. I remember the promo that Serena Deep cut, and I really liked it, actually. I thought the promo that Deep cut on Dynamite before the Double or Nothing match with Rosa, with Dustin Rhodes in the ring, was great. People shit all over it. Oh, it wasn't very good. You know, maybe that scared Tony Khan from doing another in-ring promo with the women again. But this Storm and Kylan King match, while not bad, was unnecessarily lengthy. And it wasn't 20 minutes. Listen, I'm not saying I want to see less of the women. I want to see more of the women on the show. But not just be careful what you wish for. But you have to use the women in a more meaningful manner on these fucking shows. Just because people say, oh, we want more of the women on the shows, 
doesn't mean you put them in random, meaningless matches for no real reason. I mean, you don't do that with the men. A lot of the men's matches have meaning. And, I mean, AEW has faults like any other company does. WWE has faults. Impact, any other company has faults. AEW maybe even less so because a lot of their product is very good. The women's division, after three and a half years, remains their biggest Achilles heel. And it's embarrassing at this point because they have the fucking talent. In the last year alone, like I said, they scooped up Tony Storm, Athena, Ruby Soho. They've built up their own stars and Anna Jay and Jade Cargill, among other people. Britt Baker's a homegrown star. Jamie Hayter they signed about a year ago. She's very good as well. There's a lot of great women's matches on the shows. There was a great women's tag team match on Dynamite like a week or two ago. Nyla Rose, they built up from the ground up. I don't really give a fuck about Marina Shafir, less of her, please, but you catch my drift. They have a lot of talent across all their shows. We tend to see them more on Rampage and more so Dark and Elevation than, than Dynamite, but still, they have a lot of talent across their shows. Why is it that there really hasn't been a meaningful feud in that division since this company started, beyond Rosa and Baker? It seems like they can only really get it right with those two, and they have great chemistry, but we really haven't had a real feud in that division since this company was, you know, was born three and a half years ago. Storm and Rosa at All Out should mean a hell of a lot more than it does. I think it's going to be a great match. I think it's going to be even better than the Forbidden Door match. But Tony Storm, she's had a good run in AEW. I'm not saying, oh, she made a mistake by signing with AEW. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is that they have these women. She's been on the show weekly, which is good. That's a step in the right direction. But they're not, like, when was the last time she cut a promo them in anything? Why isn't she, why couldn't they have used this five minutes, this five or six minute window they had for these women, commercial break be damned, I guess, to establish Rosa and Storm 2 at All Out? That is what I don't understand. They announced the match in a fucking graphic later on in the show. Why couldn't they have used the time they had on the show devoted to Kylan King and Tony Storm? Why couldn't they have used that to establish the rematch of the pay-per-view? Instead, Thunder Rosen looked like a fucking moron backstage watching on the TV as, as Tony Storm struggles to beat this random jobber from Dark. I just... And if, it, and if it's an argument of, oh, well, the women have to have a match, then give the women another fucking match on the show. I mean, honestly, like... You could have shaved a couple of minutes off of here or there or cut off the gun club garbage and give the women another match on the show that means a damn. I mean, it really is amazing how after all this time, they still do an awful, awful job of booking their women and making them feel like a real priority on the show. And I'm not even going to compare it to WWE because there's a lot of things WWE does inferior to AEW. Like, it's not even about that. But the women on WWE are a real focal point. Yeah, they have more time at three hours. But Dynamite is a two-hour show. SmackDown seems to have more meaningful women's segments sometimes than fucking Dynamite does. And Dynamite is the be-all, end-all of AEW. That, to me, doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. They have the talent. I want to see the talent and use them in meaningful feuds. Not just wrestler chases wrestler B for a championship. Give me some bad blood. Give me some promos. They did that with Deeb and Rosa. Why can't they do that with Deeb and... Or rather, with Rosa and Storm? Because they're both baby faces. You can't create a compelling story between two baby faces. That's what I don't get. You know, I want to see more of that improved upon in AEW going forward because it's embarrassing at this point how fucking of an afterthought these women are on these shows. It really is astoundingly bad and that is not a reflection on the talent at all as much as it is Tony Khan and the fact he just seems to not give a fuck about his own women's division. So, rant aside, the main event, Kenny Omega returning alongside the Young Bucks to defeat 
Andrade, El Idolo, Roosh, and Dragon Lee to advance in the AEW World Trios Championship Tournament. Quarterfinal, uh, quarterfinal matchup, quarterfinal action. Good match. Uh, Kenny Omega definitely showed some signs of ring rust in that match. Did not look 100%, but that might have been by design. It might be too early to say, oh, he's back too soon. I mean, it's great that he's back. Dynamite has certainly missed him. Um, I've said this before, but AEW was kind of missing that must-see feel without him involved without Punk there, without Danielson, and recently MJF. Now, they have enough stars to replenish the pot in their absence, but Paige and Moxley have honestly, in my opinion, not been enough on the men's side. They needed more of the top, top stars like Omega, like Danielson, like Punk, and MJF. MJF could be on his way back very, very soon. Omega's back now, Punk is back now, and Danielson's back now, and sure enough, those were the three parts, the three best parts of this show, alongside Moxley. So that's a step in the right direction. The Elite retained, or not retained, but advanced in the tournament with their win over Andrade, Rouge, and Dragon Lee. But back to Punk and Moxley for a second. So a couple of things here. First of all, it came out today that in Punk's promo on Dynamite last night starting the show, that that could have been a shoot with him calling out Hangman Page. Now, Punk and Page have history from before Double or Nothing. They had their match at Double or Nothing. And Page was like oddly very like, upset and angry towards Punk in the build-up to that match. And Punk's like, I don't know what the fuck you're all upset about, I'm just here to win a title, and that's what this is about for me. Page made it personal, and it was very odd. Now it's starting to come out, it might have been personal from Page's standpoint, in the Punk that, the promo that Punk cut last night, unless it's turned into a storyline, it might have been a shoot. might have been legit with him calling out Page, and Page didn't reciprocate, and there was bad blood there. Listen, I don't know if it's real or not. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, it was a real line, or oh, it's scripted. It might be turned into a storyline. Regardless, it has my attention. And honestly, that is what this show needs more of. Now that WWE stepping up their game, AEW, for as good as their shows were, it kind of like felt like they were resting on their laurels this summer. I like Moxley, but a lot of their shows have not felt must-see in many, many months, probably since before Double or Nothing, and the injuries did not help. Omega being back is great. They need more compelling storylines from week to week. It's not just enough to rest on uh, good matches anymore. They need more than that. It's great they have amazing in-ring action, but we need real stories. Moxley and Punk had one of the best verbal exchanges in this company's history. Now they're rushing into that match next week. That doesn't make any fucking sense. This stuff with Punk and Page, and now it's being reported by Fightful Select that Punk... Not that he was going to quit. I mean, I think some people are kind of jumping, jumping to conclusions there, but... By all accounts, per this report, um, there was a chance he may not even have appeared on Dynamite last night. And he wasn't happy with the way that Paige was kind of talking about Punk and Punk's absence leading up to the match at Double or Nothing. And not only that, uh, Punk, I guess, was upset about, again, some of the things Paige said. And there was the concern that Punk may not even appear on the show last night. That would explain why up until 7 o'clock last night Eastern Time, Tony Khan was not even advertising CM Punk to be on the show, probably until he was in the building. So again, maybe this is all one elaborate work. To me, it sounds like it's a legit and they might turn it into a work, a lot like the MJF stuff from earlier this year. Punk already creating backstage drama with Paige and among other people. And again, it, the report did not say that he threatened to quit. But it sounded like, per the speculation from the talent, that he might be leaning that way. He gave off the vibe that he might threaten to quit, although he probably wouldn't and that he didn't. So, very interesting, whatever's going on with Punk right now. That's all coming out today. I have no idea what's going on exactly, but it has my attention. And again, it makes me want to watch the show next week, real or not, to see what's going to happen next. 
Now, I'm not a fan of whatever they're doing with Punk and Moxley being on Dynamite next week. They have built up enough goodwill with me and the rest of the audience that I trust them to do the right thing and that it won't be that they're blowing this off on on Dynamite to just do Punk and Moxley again at the pay-per-view. I know they did that with Omega and Christian last year. I also thought that was dumb, but that was at least done for the reason that it was for one championship. You know, maybe this ends in a non-finish. I find that hard to believe. AEW very rarely does non-finishes. And to do the match like two weeks before the actual pay-per-view, again, doesn't to me make a lot of sense. That seems very silly and short-sighted. The only explanation that makes sense to me, and it's not a triple threat with Adam Page, that just seems, that's not as big of an attraction as Punk and Moxley one and one I'm sorry, it's not. Uh, Page has been doing nothing for fucking months. Why would that, why would that even matter? You know, to, to throw Page in there. That's not a real attraction match to me. The only other explanation that makes sense is if MJF is on his way back. Now, a lot of us already expected him to be back by the fall, but the way I saw it playing out was Punk beats Moxley at All Out, either on that show or on the subsequent Dynamite, MJF comes back. And that's the fall program before MJF beats Punk. At that point, it doesn't even matter. It could be on, I mean, I would prefer to save it for full gear, but you can do it a Grand Slam. You can do it on TV. You could do it a full gear. But I feel like to rush into Punk, the, the, the real key there, though, is getting a build out of Moxley and Punk going into All Out and getting a real build out of Punk and MJF 3 before you get there at whatever show. If they do what I think they're about to do, you're fucking the fans over on a build to two mega matches. At least the way that I laid it out, you're getting a real build out of Punk and Moxley for more than a week, and you're getting a real build out of Punk and MJF for more than a week. I mean, I don't know when the Grand Slam show is. That sounds like it's in a couple of weeks after um, um, after All Out, I think. I think it's in the mid-September. But even then, though, that's a major show. Whatever show we have coming up next week in Ohio is not a major show. It's not a stadium show. It's a random-ass dynamite in Ohio. I know that's where Moxley's from, but that's still very fucking random. So, again, I don't want to rant too much about this because we still don't know where they're going. I'm just saying, if they go the way that I think they're going here by doing the match next week, I still don't think we're getting a non-finish. It's very possible, and I hope they do do that. I just don't get the feeling they will. But if they have Punk win, MJF comes back, and they set up Punk and MJF for All Out, you are fucking over your two biggest matches you can do right now within a matter of three weeks. First of all, it doesn't even make sense for MJF to get a title shot. If he's supposed to be suspended and Tony Khan hates him and storyline, whatever, why the fuck would he get a title shot? The guy was, the last time we saw him in the ring, he got beaten five minutes by Wardlow. Why the fuck would he get a title shot? That is something you gradually build towards. And here's the problem. This guy knows all about long-term storytelling. We've, I've talked about it before. But here's my issue, though. You long-term storytell things and do long-term booking with shit that matters. I'm sorry, but doing long-term booking with Jericho and Kingston was dumb. The feud sucked. The Jericho Appreciation Society stuff is terrible. It sounds like they might be moving away from it, from getting Garcia away from it. Good. Please. It's fucking awful. The Kingston-Jericho match, the first one was great. The second one was terrible. And Kingston came away from that looking like a fucking loser. So who does that really benefit? To set up Jericho to lose to Moxley? Okay, cool. Nothing was accomplished. So anyway, um, he does a lot of long-term storytelling with, with stuff that probably should not be told over the course of a year. Jericho and Kingston was an eight-month feud. Jericho and MJF was a year-long storyline. Why? 
towards the end, it wasn't even that good. The matches weren't great enough to warrant it being a year-long storyline. Why is that shit a year long, but Punk and Moxley's being told within two weeks? Or Punk and MGF3 being told within two weeks? Or 11 days, or whatever it's going to be. They told the story of Punk and MJF from Revolution, or rather from Full Gear to Revolution. That was about a four-month feud. That was perfect. That was the perfect and appropriate amount of time to tell that story between those two guys going into that show. And that even involved doing a match on TV that I did not mind, because they built to an even bigger match at the pay-per-view itself. And that was perfect. What they're doing here, though, again, I'm, I'm just going off the pure speculation it could lead to MJF being brought back to do Punk and MJF on that show. And listen, maybe that was the original plan. I'm sure it was the plan. Then Punk got hurt. And Punk hasn't been around in two and a half months. So they got to put the belt back on Punk full time. Get the belt off of Moxley. If you do Punk and MJF, what the fuck does Moxley do it all out? He probably sits that show out, which I wouldn't do. I think that'd be, uh, be a big fuck you to Moxley. For a guy that's been carrying this company in Punk's absence... To not even have on your next, to not even have him on your next pay per view, to me, would be a mistake. So, if it's not MJF, I really don't know what you do. A rematch, I think, would be dumb. To do a rematch, oh, but it's gonna be no DQ, would be fucking dumb. I'm sorry, it would be stupid. I think you saved their first major match for the pay per view. And why not do the first major match at all out, but then build to a no DQ match at Grand Slam, or a Full Gear, or another Dynamite before then? I'm sorry, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I am intrigued. They do have my attention. I do have faith that Tony Khan will do the right thing. He hasn't fucked over, you know, he hasn't done enough dumb stuff to make me lose faith in whatever he's going to do. He still has that goodwill built with me anyway, as far as from a fan standpoint. I'm not liking where this is going. I'm telling you right now that I'm intrigued. I'm very much intrigued. I'm just skeptical that they might blow this off and do something dumb. Instead of doing the money match, first time ever one-on-one encounter between Punk and Moxley in AEW at All Out. So that's going to be today's show for August 18, 2022. Thank you guys, as always, for checking out the show. I appreciate it. Hope to get back to normal next week with Mr. Marceau. Um, I did not think I would have enough material to fill out the entire hour show by myself. I have not done an hour-long show by my... I mean, the Shawn Michaels interview took up 15, 20 minutes, but... I didn't think I would have enough material to talk by myself here for an hour, but it was such a newsworthy week, it kind of came easily. But uh, we'll be hopefully back to normal next week. Myself, Mr. Marceau, breaking down all the latest in the world of wrestling, so keep an eye out for that. Next week here on WrestleRant.com, WrestleRantRadio.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, on Google Podcasts, Podbean, Pandora, and Amazon Music. Be sure to rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Never miss a new episode every single Thursday. On that note, guys, have a great rest of your week. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.